I was starting to get a little worried that maybe I was this really obsessive perfectionist and I would never be happy or maybe I wasn't good enough. That scared me a little bit of like, oh, I guess this is going to be a hobby for me. But with that pair, it was it, it felt like kind of, you know, like this huge sense of relief. It was like, oh, OK, I think I can do this. Let's see if it works. Shoecast! Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Stitchdown Shoecast, where we talk quality footwear, how it's made, and all the things we love about it. I'm Ben from Stitchdown.com, and Ticho is either currently eating brown cheese or sleeping, or both, at the hollowed fjord home of Lars from Usmu Boots, where he's hatching schemes and driving really cool miniature SUVs from the 90s. Oh, we miss you both. And while Ticho gets Lars, today I'm lucky enough to have one of the most exciting, emerging, and already very, very good bootmakers in the world on this shoe cast, Nathan Florsheim, a.k.a. NF Bootmaker, who's been cunning enough to somehow have conned Lars into mentoring him as he hones his already impressive craft. The surname Florsheim isn't just a clever shoemaking coincidence. Nathan is the great-great-grandson of Milton Florsheim, who founded Florsheim Shoes in 1892. And he's been honing his work while keeping an impressively low profile until right now. Sorry about that, Nathan. (laughs) We're going to cover a ton with Nathan this episode, but first I need to just give a loving shout out to our sponsor this week, Standard & Strange, one of the finest boot purveyors in the known universe. Home to Wesco, Viberg, Cigara, Yucatan, Rolling Dub Trio, John Lofgren, and most recently, Grant Stone. Also, they sponsor the recently completed Stitch Down Patina Thunderdome. So, yes, we love them. Check out their stores in Oakland, Santa Fe, New York, and the internet. Maybe buy some boots. And if you want to make sure you make the right call on those boots and get the right size and everything else, you should strongly consider joining the Stitch Down Premium Discord, which will make sure all those things happen and is home to such luminaries as Nathan Florsheim and Neil from Standard and Strange and Wyatt from Grant Stone, Bagoose from Cigara, Lars. Lars was like the first person in there. It was We were just talking to each other. And then we're like, should we talk to other people? And I guess we said yes. And plenty more. Honestly, if you want some of Nathan's boots after listening to this, getting to know him in the Discord is a pretty good path. Plus, it's a fantastic place, and I promise you'll love it. More info on SDP in the Discord on stitchdown.com. All right, it's time. Nathan Florshy, Mr. NF Bootmaker himself. Welcome to the ShoeCast. And what, my sir, are you wearing on your feet today? Thanks so much for having me, man. Uh, yeah, so I'm just hanging out inside right now, and pretty much the only thing I've been wearing lately, other than some of the boots that I've made for myself, are a pair of Fate slippers that I picked up used, and I'm really liking them. It's really comfortable, cool, unique look. Kind of feel like a grown-up wearing slip-on Vans, which is nice. Wait, which ones do you have? They're the they're the older ones. So I know you have some of the like indoor, more like muley slippers. These are the ones that look like Van slip-ons. But just slightly classy. <laughs> yeah. They're very polarizing. A few people I've told about them have not liked them at all. <laughs> what do you mean? You told people about them and they were like, I don't like what you're telling me? No, I mean, I think just fate in general, some of the designs, I think people don't like the Vansy aspect. I, I sent a picture of them to my girlfriend and was like, do you like these when I was planning on buying them? And she said, absolutely not. And then I bought them. <laughs> what does she think now? She likes them a little bit more in person. I've been able to persuade her a little bit. <laughs> I think they're great, man. Like, those are just, and mine too. Yeah, mine are technically the outdoor slipper because they have these little vibram pads on the bottom. Mm. But, you know, I mean, I like, took out the garbage a couple times and I'm so simple. They're just like, all right, paint this thing with whatever 
you know, the world throws at it. And kind of like then they become what they're supposed to be kind of thing, you know? For There's sure. not a ton of design to them. Yeah, they're minimal. They're simple. Not published yet, but uh, Tall Price from Fight was first episode uh, of this season. So even though we're talking about him now, you should go and listen to it uh, later. I definitely will. I've, I've been very curious about that story because um, some of the older stuff just looks so much different than what it is now. Oh, like the stuff that I've been collecting for like 15 years now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like have a bunch of eBay alerts set for? <laughs> I didn't know you were that into them, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, very different. They were minimally minimal at that point. <laughs> well, I'm excited to listen to that one. I'll send you some pictures. Cool. It's a good one, I promise. All right, so that's good. Do you wear your own stuff? I do, man. I don't want it to come across as like patting myself on the back, but it's pretty much all I wear right now. And it's not so much to toot my own horn. It's more that I was not sizing myself very properly before I started making my own boots. And so a lot of the stuff that I had bought, I had a few pairs from like Wesco. They fit all right, but not nearly as well. But right now I have two personal pairs. I have the one that I'm doing in the in the dome, those marine field ones. Which look fantastic. I think I sent you the picture of them with the the leather swatch, mm-hmm. uh, the original leather, and it is just, I, I hadn't realized how much they'd changed until I saw the comparison, uh, but I'm loving those. I really, the other pair I have are, are those tumbled black Chrome XL ones, and I, I really love that pair, yeah. What number was the Thunderdome pair for you? I think that that was number 13. I have them all like labeled where I documented them, but somewhere around there. I'm on number, I think like 22 now. For the pairs that I've sold, yeah. Are you still happy with your work? I am, yeah. You know, wearing the older pairs, I definitely am a little more critical. And I was actually thinking that maybe after, well, I guess it has has ended, but after the dome ends and I, I take those final pictures, I may try and do a resold and stuff because my stitching, my outsole stitching especially, has just gotten so, so much better over the past nine pairs. You know, I'm I'm happy enough with them. And it's kind of nice been been like torture testing those two pairs. And it's they've been surviving nicely. Progress is good. People sometimes get in touch with me about this podcast, and they're like, I just started listening. I'm really enjoying it. I'm like, well, thank you for lying if you listen to, like, the first five episodes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm so happy that I took the route of, like, taking a year and a half of just making them and not letting them anywhere outside of my house, really, just piling up in my closet. Because I do, I look back at even even the pair right before the Black Chrome XL ones that kind of I, when I started posting a little bit more frequently with that pair, it's just night and day the difference of that was still the moment where every pair I made I had some like crazy revelation that totally changed the process for me. So it can be a little rough looking at those earlier pairs. So I'm glad that they're not they're not on Instagram anywhere. Wait, so what happened with pairs, you know, 1 through 12 like after you made them? Like uh, you were you were wearing them or you were like I'm glad that I made a boot into the closet it goes or what was like the process from the beginning? Kind of all of the above. So like the first pair, you know, I wore them a little bit and those were real rough. You know, I have some pictures of those that I can send you actually, but I wore them around a little bit. And from there, there was a couple pairs where I would make one in a certain leather and really like that leather. Like there was this leather from Acadia that's called a uh, off-road sage that is this really nice light green leather. But either the size a little off because I didn't have my own last at the time. I was just taking this old vintage last. And every time I made a pair, I'd be like, eh, I don't like this. And I would sand it or build it up in some way. And so there was just a decent amount of pairs that either didn't fit how I wanted or something went a little wrong with the manufacturing of them. And I set them aside and would try to remake them. And now I really do just have like a, you know, a big plastic bin in my studio closet of 
probably pairs one through 12, basically, piled up. You know, I made a pair for my girlfriend Lauren very early on, and they're still out. And I more recently made her a pair that are much better. And I I sure hope she doesn't wear the old ones anymore. (laughs) Because those are the only ones really actually that have made it out of the house. A lot of people would like to see that box, I imagine. Maybe one day I'll I'll break it out when it's a little bit further in the past. (laughs) But it was funny moving it. (laughs) Going back through all of them, you know, I moved... Just a little under a year ago, we moved places and I had to load everything up in my messy studio. And it was definitely a trip down memory lane, you know, like I found the first, like before I even made that first pair of boots that I started numbering, I had a pair of, or not even a pair, I had just a shoe that I made. And it was pretty cool seeing that again, just like, oh man, everything about it. That one wasn't wearable because I, I didn't get the nail length right and so... There was a lot of nails sticking out of the footbed that were a little too long to clinch. (laughs) I mean, people used to do that in like the town square for, you know, entertainment and revenue generation. Yeah, I'm just going to be walking on nails, but no one can see. They'll just be in my shoes. (laughs) No one will know that I'm in pain. A true magician. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Look, let's back up for a second. When we first chatted, I don't know, it was like a year ago, nine months ago, something like that. You told me... Nobody in your shoe famous family had actually made a pair themselves in generations, which made you want to do exactly that. Yeah. How did the bug bite you? What got you? So honestly, the family part is a big part of it. But initially, you know, like I grew up always liking shoes and I I was a skater kid. And so I really liked skate shoes. I was into that a lot. I'd say around like five years ago or so, I started really getting into the idea of nice boots. But just wasn't in a place where I had enough money from my jobs and everything like that to to get any. So I started lurking on the websites like Reddit and everything. Saw a post from Lars when he was like initially starting and saw that it was just some guy who decided to start making boots. And that kind of like started that that seed of an idea. Um, I have a background in the arts and so I've always really liked making things. And this just seemed so up my alley and I just kind of spent those years really like looking into it kind of casually I started getting into boots and wearing things like Red Wing and everything like that and being curious you know like what is the difference between this type of welt and this type of construction and found you know videos on YouTube of like cobblers doing repairs and yeah it just seems so interesting to me and that combined with this idea of you know like okay there is this family history here this feels like something that's worth pursuing Around the start of the pandemic, I decided, okay, let's kind of bite the bullet. I spent a couple hundred dollars on on tools and some some cheap leather to kind of just see if I'd like it. And it it just kind of took over my whole my whole life. And I just absolutely fell in love with it. And the more I did it, the more I started to think about the way that it relates to to my family in that history. Just that idea of kind of like reconnecting with the past and with this heritage that just really started to excite me and it it I could tell it started to excite my family members too you know like my uncles and my grandfather all were so interested when they saw me doing this oh i love it wanted me to be sending pictures and everything and whenever i'd go home would be asking me so many questions which was just so exciting so it really felt like a a form of connection as well yeah to be honest i didn't know a ton about the family history and you know i still am by no means like a historian on florsheim you know there's people on the internet that know a whole lot more than I do, ironically. But just being able to have that like tactile connection with that history was really, really rewarding. 
I actually just bought a pair of vintage Imperials that I'm going to do like a little resole restoration on for myself as a little fun side project. Nice. Like what era? Um, I need to like work on dating him a little bit more. I went on that Vcleet website. Yeah, just email David Vcleet, which is his actual name, by the way. Wait, his last name is Vcleet? <laughs> um, Ticho thinks it's not for some reason, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. Okay, I'm going to take your word for it. Nominative determinism, just like you. We were both just born into this. Yeah. I should email him. He has like a fun little calculator where you like put in the, the numbers and the code on the inside of the lining. But the way that Florsheim did the dating system, it only gave one number. And so you don't know if it's 1967, 1977, 1987. You just know that there's a seven. I think it ends in a seven. And so I'll have to do a little bit more digging. But they, they seem pretty, they seem older than some of the other ones. They're in rough shape and I bought them for the reason they, they felt a little older. I would guess like 70s or 60s. Yeah, I mean, that's what you want. Shoot him an email. He will answer your question. I guarantee you he would be quite tickled to hear from you. Okay, I definitely should. I actually, the last time I was in Milwaukee, I was telling my uncle, and so he's still involved with the company and shared the website with him, and he, he got a kick out of it just knowing that there's this whole community of people out there just obsessing over their old shoes and their model numbers. Oh, he hadn't known about it? He hadn't. Like, I think that they, they had some idea of, you know, like people collect vintage floor shimes, but... They really had no idea that there was such a such like kind of cult following of this specific model from Florsheim. Yeah, it's gone crazy the last couple of years. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, there's all those resale videos by that guy, Betos. It's just you see him everywhere now. It was funny when I was, you know, learning and teaching myself how to make boots, seeing my name pop up all the time of like Florsheim repair, Florsheim rebuild. <laughs> yeah. It's like, OK, um, I'll have to do one of these myself one day. <laughs> <laughs> Away we go. Don't tell your uncle my only pair of vintage shoes is Hanovers. Oh man. Well, hey, they look they look kind of similar those those wingtips. So, you you get a pass. <laughs> Plain toes. Oh, never mind. You don't get a pass anymore. <laughs> no. Don't don't pass me. There's like a little bit of like square toe to it going on. They're really cool. They don't actually quite fit, but Nice. Yeah, they're like their color eight or whatever shell and got them for like 12 bucks. Oh, that's amazing. Look terrible. That's a great deal, though. I mean, you can't expect them to look great for 12 bucks. No, no. Like nobody else figured it out, like along the chain. If they said Florsheim, I guarantee you somebody on that chain would have been like, well, we got something here. When I was digging around on eBay, it was like the thought crossed. I've never been a huge fan of shell, like as a for me to wear, but I was like, maybe I should see if I can find the shell because that's such a part of it. Who boy. Nope, that's expensive now. The Florsheim shell prices have sure gone up. I was like, my budget's like 30 bucks. <laughs> yeah, you should hang out at uh, my old local thrift store and just walk through it like twice a week, which is what I was doing. Just coming up empty, coming up empty. I was like, oh, all right, taking them. I wonder actually if the, the thrift stores in Chicago would be a better bet because since it, the factory used to be there, I wonder if like some one of them just has like some secret stash of them from like factory wholesale and boxes or something. Oh God, yeah. Just whenever you find that, just uh, text me first. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. So you decide to do this. You start watching the videos. Mm -hmm. You buy the tools. Yeah, this is happening. What would you do? What was the first thing you did? Yeah, so the first thing that I did actually, if I remember correctly, is I, I had an old pair of Red Wing merchants that I got 
used for real cheap that were a little too small. And it was one of these things where just in my initial research, I hadn't really come across great resources on pattern making yet. So that was the biggest hurdle for me. I felt like I could figure out the whole bottoming process and getting the sole on and sole stitching. But coming up with the pattern was really daunting to me. And so I just totally ripped apart and deconstructed these merchants. One, to get an idea of like the construction as a whole, but also just to get an idea of how the the pattern pieces looked when they were two-dimensional. And that just gave me a, a starting point of what a pattern should look like. You know, my first pair of boots, they weren't well made, but they pretty much were the Red Wing Merchant pattern. And it just kind of was like, okay, this is how a 2D shape translates to a three-dimensional boot. I don't want it to look like this. I want it to be have a little bit more of an angle here and just kind of started doing these small adjustments, learning as I went. During this time, you know, I started to find some other resources, like there's the the cord-winning subreddit on reddit which was really really helpful from finding what i needed to buy but also just finding kind of a community of people who are also figuring this out and around this time i i I met another boot maker who was also teaching himself how to make boots around the same time also lived in the midwest and whose name was also nathan which was pretty wild it's like nat's boots on instagram oh yeah that was really really helpful kind of like having a a buddy in the learning process where if one of us would figure something out or find a new tool or a new supplier we'd share it with the other one and so we'd be able to kind of like build this archive of information between the two of us and that was so so helpful and then you know I already mentioned earlier on one of the main reasons I I got into this was Lars um, and seeing his early posts and so there was this thing in the back of my head you know of like oh like that's the guy you know (laughs) this is the person that's why I'm doing it I saw him as just this like a kind of what I wanted to achieve in a sense, I learned so much through his posts and everything. And so at one point, I think it was also on Reddit, he commented on one of my posts. And then I reached out to him on Instagram, and we started messaging a little bit. And at first, it was just me asking little questions here and there, sometimes about patterning, sometimes about soul stitching or something like that. Really lucky that he seemed to be interested in getting to know me. And we started talking more and developed like a pretty great relationship, if you ask me. Yeah, I've just learned a lot through him and he's just been and I think he has the reputation for being so generous with information but it really was you know you said at the beginning this kind of mentorship but I did kind of stumble into this where he's been sharing a lot of information with me I'm making a personal pair of boots with his type one pattern which is really really exciting and I know even that has been such a learning process of like oh okay this is how someone else does a pattern and he had his pattern like professionally graded by Marcel um, who's this master shoemaker and so like comparing what I figured out with my pattern to what Lars came up with but then also what this master shoemaker translated from his pattern and things like that was so incredibly helpful. A big part of like learning through this you know like of course there's the process of just making mistakes and learning from them but I do have to say that the like community and the the access and sharing of information was so incredible and I don't think that I would have been able to figure out or at least gotten to where I am now at this point without it I think it would have taken me a whole lot longer totally on my own so yeah it was just this mixture of the internet friendly people and making a ton of expensive mistakes (laughs) um that allowed me to get to a point where I was I felt comfortable sharing it with the world because for the longest time I, I didn't want to share any of the work with like anyone outside my my family and and friends. 
it's crazy, you know? Like, right the first time I ever talked to Lars, I'm like, well, how'd you figure this out? He's like, eh, just the internet, YouTube, friendly people. It's the same thing. And now you guys have this, like, wonderfully adorable <laughs> relationship, which I, I can't imagine that's doing anything other than speeding you up. But, yeah, it's nuts. Like, I mean, like, I'm not going to lie. Just thinking about doing this, like, all I think about is boots and shoes, like, all day long. It's, like, what I'm supposed to do. So I'm happy to do it. <laughs> and the idea of making them, I mean, it, it like, I don't even really get very anxious as a person. It, like, gives me a complete attack. <laughs> it's like, well, what? But how? But how? It's a lot. <laughs> it takes a lot of time. And, like, it had a lot of frustrations. So I get why you feel that way. <laughs> it's not just you. I definitely felt the same for a while. Yeah, like, I like the idea of it, right? And I feel like more and more people are feeling that way. Like, you get really into this, and you, you start to understand it. Even pulling off a resole is like, damn, like, God bless those people. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, the whole thing is, like, it's both appealing and, and terrifying, not just in terms of, like, time and expense, but how do you do it? What if I do it poorly? Like, all those things. At any point, did you feel, like, overwhelmed, or are you just like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. I'm like having a great time with it. The most I think overwhelmed or hesitant, I guess I could say, was leading up to actually like diving in. I think that that was the biggest part for me. And a lot of it was, you know, like there is a financial commitment. It's not a cheap thing to get involved in. You can't just, well, I mean, like you could, but like having the right tools really makes it easier. Leather isn't cheap. You're going to make mistakes and those mistakes are going to cost money. And so I think that my biggest fear was that I had romanticized this idea for so long and I would buy these supplies and it would just be one of those hobbies where I did it once and I was like, whatever, and I push it aside and it was a waste of 300 bucks. But once I kind of got past that first hurdle and realized I really, really enjoyed this, it was just kind of like purely positive in a way. You know, of course there were frustrations where, you know, like the first time I made a pair and I got to the very end basically where like I was almost done with the sole stitching and then I catastrophically fucked up so much that that I had to throw it away you know like that's a horrible feeling and for like two weeks I had to take a break and couldn't touch that pair so there's been you know like hiccups along the way in that sense but again like to loop back to this idea of the community it's been like such an inviting space and such a supportive space people I feel like have been quite transparent about their mistakes also and so it's made me feel more like okay with the fact that I'm stumbling as I'm getting through this. And again, it's just like, I really haven't found anything that I've I've enjoyed doing and like the process of as much as this. And so I think that that's given me a sense of security in a way when there are those those mistakes and those hiccups. So what do you like about the process? I just really like process. I'm like a very process-oriented person and I really like working with my hands. I, I have trouble sitting still for a long time and so I've always really liked having something to do. And like I said, I have a background in the arts. I, I mostly did photo work and did like collage and things like that. But I also had done some bookmaking when I was in school, actually. There's a lot of overlap in those two processes I've found. I really enjoyed the process of bookmaking and just that kind of like tactile experience, but also just the fact that it's it's so simple in a sense where, you know, like I was working in this world of fine art and conceptual art, and I think there's so much incredible art out there, but there's always so much reasoning behind it and concept behind it. And there was something about just making an object that had one purpose that was so refreshing. 
to me where it was like, I really enjoy making this and I enjoy making it because of the process. And the reason I make it is because it's a boot and you wear it. That just felt like really simple and refreshing to me where there didn't feel like any need to defend why I was doing it. The The reason was in the in the actual process itself, if that makes sense. Absolutely. The bookmaking thing is really interesting. You know, Tess uh, from All Together Leather? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we also have an episode with Tess that will, I, I think, air after yours. Oh, amazing. So you definitely can't listen to that one yet. <laughs> she was like a bookmaker. Like she thought she wanted to be a bookmaker. I had no idea. And did plenty of it. That's so funny because I know that she had worked at Dayton at one point and loved jewels. Yep. Like we've talked about that a little bit, but I had no, I need to talk to her about that now. I got a messenger because that's really funny. And I, I'd love to, I'd love to talk about that overlap. I was talking with another artist a few weeks ago that I met through my girlfriend who's a bookmaker and she was just so interested in the boot stuff. And I was telling her, you know, like, well, actually there's a lot of overlap. You know, you might already have some of the tools. <laughs> You're just stitching stuff together. Exactly. One thing you're holding, another thing you're putting on your feet. <laughs> ah, man, that's funny. But I mean, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. What are some of the biggest things you learned right at the beginning? Your first three pairs or five pairs that you're like, that to this day, you'll never make those mistakes again or some sort of advancement. What was that like? The things that come to mind initially are more the like materials themselves and figuring out what works best. In a lot of the resources, I didn't ever see the importance of using like specifically soling leather for like the insole and midsole. And if you're doing a leather outsole, the leather outsole, I was just using like skirting leather. And always whenever I finished my shoes and part of it was I wasn't as good at sanding them as I am now, but they always just looked a little wobbly and ragged and just the edges didn't look too clean. And a big reason for that I learned is that the leather I was using just wasn't dense enough. Like when you get a really dense leather, it makes your life so much easier when finishing them. It just makes for much cleaner edges. So things like that were a big deal of whether it was like learning that about soling leather or figuring out like oh, this type of skiving knife I like way, way more than the one that I got in this leather kit from the beginning. And I'd say another big leap forward that I made, I think, is when I, I kind of combined the, the photo part of me and the boot part of me, where before I was doing like pattern making manually, where I was cutting out the paper and everything and taping up the last and making adjustments that way. I eventually kind of like put the dots together that, I, oh, I could scan in my pattern and have that be kind of the main pattern, bring it into an editing software. Right now I'm using Affinity, which is basically a cheaper Photoshop. You can trace that pattern and then edit that object and make changes that way. And that was just a huge moment for me because it meant I could make really precise changes more easily and on the fly. And I was able then to kind of like learn how to use what I know about printing photos and scaling photos to figure out grading and things like that so I can use the same pattern for multiple sizes. So that honestly, for me at least, was a big one. And I know that like a lot of bespoke makers and stuff like that, a big part of that process is a unique pattern for every pair and you're drawing it on the last and you're taping it up the last. So very different processes. But for me, like being able to bring in my background in that sense made me a lot more comfortable with the process. It felt like I, I, I felt a little bit more at home, I guess. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, a lot of people who gravitate towards this craft at some point were creating something else, mm -hmm. right? Like you're doing your photography and 
you know, Lars was a musician, which doesn't, you know, doesn't flow exactly into into boot making. But you're like, no, no, no I, I started with nothing and I made something so I can do that with something else. Right. For sure. And I think, you know, another thing to think about, like the background of like creating something and whether that's music or photography or bookmaking or something like that, that I've learned through talking to these other makers is just like, at least for me and everyone I've talked to, there's like this inherent nature of being obsessive over the thing that you're making with the people that I've talked to. And I feel like that that's really necessary too, especially for something like boot making, because oftentimes I feel like if I were to show my boot next to like a Viberg service boot next to like a Truman boot, and you know, like line them all up to someone who just has never really looked into this hobby at all. They wouldn't see the differences as apparently as... No, they all look exactly the same. Exactly. And like, then if I were to show it to someone like you or someone from like the the Discord, they'd be able to point out some of the differences and stuff. But then if I were to show that to someone like Lars or another maker, we would then be like honing in on the like millimeter differences and like the cut angles and things like on the pattern. So it's, it's really those things you have to be obsessive and like able to focus on those details because... We're not reinventing the wheel. There isn't this crazy thing that's setting every boot apart from the other boot, at least not in this construction style, I feel. There are the, there's like this beauty in these details and how much variance there can be in those details that you really learn to appreciate. When in your progression did you say that things like that or anything else really started to click for you? I'd say, you know, so the pair before that tumbled black chrome excel pair that that personal pair of mine that's like the first post on my instagram and the one that i kind of started sharing a little bit more regularly online that one was where things started to really click and i started to feel really confident about like how the pattern was looking but then that that black chrome excel pair that was like the pair like that was a big pair for me of being like I finished that and it really was the first pair where I was like I'm happy enough to like keep these and wear these I'm happy enough to show these to people before that everything else I always really could there were there would be something majorly wrong with them that would prevent me from enjoying them and this was the first one where like of course there were things that I wasn't happy with there always will be but there was nothing major. I had made some pretty substantial changes to my pattern. And this pair was the first pair that I tested that where I, I made them a little taller. Before that, I was rounding the top of the, the facings kind of similar to a more classic service boot. And I decided to have it be a sharper cut, almost a 90 degree angle. Things like that. I added an extra eyelet. I changed the eyelet size. And just little details like that. Some of them a little bit more major. It just felt more like my own. You know, like I felt like with all the pairs before that, it felt like me making boots and imitating other patterns in a sense to get familiar with the process. And it was with these changes and things like that, that I was like, oh, okay, this feels more like it's mine. This is my thing. I'm not doing someone else's thing. Got me a nice feeling. It was. To go back to your question of like, did you ever like have those fears or anxieties? This pair was kind of put a lot of any of those fears to bed. I was starting to get a little worried that maybe I was this really obsessive perfectionist and I would never be happy with any of them that I finished, or maybe I wasn't good enough to finish them to the the standard that I wanted them to be at. Um, and so that scared me a little bit of like, oh, I guess this is going to be a hobby for me. But with that pair, it, was, it, it felt like kind of, you know, like this huge sense of relief in that sense. Now that I think about it a little bit more, it was like, oh, okay, I think I can do this. Let's see if it works. Everybody needs the breakthrough, man. Yeah. <laughs> What's the hardest thing about this whole craft that you had 
no idea about. You just never saw it coming. Grading was really hard. How do you do that? That's one of these, like, last making and grading. Like, last making probably even more so. Oh, man. I am not a last maker. How do you do it? The grading, yeah, and, like, last making, that's a great one. Maybe I'll tackle that one day, but that's, like, its own art form, honestly. The grading, and there's different ways to do it. Again, like, to reference the more, like, kind of classic traditions of shoemaking and bespoke makers, you know, you start by taping up the last for the size that you're making that that shoe for. And you make the the kind of base pattern, you get what's called like a mean form. And from that, there's all sorts of little tricks and geometry that are covered in different pattern making books where you then add allowances and break up that initial tape piece into the individual pattern pieces. And then that's for just one size. And so some of these makers, then you can get certain like pattern grading rulers. I've never actually used one. I know that guy, Marcel, he has like a shop online and he sells one that technically should let you grade a pattern physically. But I, again, I decided to do it digitally. When it comes to grading, at least when I'm doing it digitally, it's all about trying to figure out the the amount you need to scale each piece to match the size difference between each size. And so honestly, for me, it kind of started out as a guessing game where I had, in some of the books and some of the things I've read, you know, I read that in American sizes... Typically, between every full size, it's a third of an inch is the adjustment scale. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to take my, you know, kind of my size pattern, which is the main, the master pattern. I'm going to scale that down by a third of an inch. And technically, that would be one size down or by however many sizes I need. I then went to make a pair and the proportions were off where basically like the vamp looked way too big and the quarters were way too small. And so that was discouraging. And basically what I realized is that the difference in sizing between American sizes and European sizes is different. I was looking at the American sizing thing. I get my last from Spenla in Germany. So I was doing like the wrong scale. I then did something a little closer to like a quarter of an inch. So like not a big difference, you know, like a third of an inch and a quarter of an inch. And that fixed it. (laughs) So I did like a test pair for it. And it looked just as good proportion-wise for the pair that I made for Lauren, which is like a size 41 to the pair of 46s that I had for myself. And that was like, okay, now I can start selling pairs in sizes other than my size. And so a big part of it was, you know, like guess and check. But there was some of that knowledge oriented, you know, trying to learn from these other makers. Honestly, you know, like, again, I know Lars, he got his pattern graded professionally by this guy, Marcel. And I'm sure if I were to send Marcel a few of my patterns in different sizes he would be able to tear them apart of all sorts of little things that could be better and it's one of those things where I'm at the point where it's working well for me and I've again you know like I've been able to utilize the knowledge that that I had from my past experiences to make it work and the different sizes I've made all maintain the same proportion so I'm I'm happy where I am now I may eventually consult a professional but (laughs) I'm good for now good good (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that that basically made me want to pass out all over again. Like, oh yeah, third of an inch, quarter of an inch. I'm like, what direction? I don't. What? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a headache. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Or fucking magic. But yeah, while I pass out, let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll be right back with Nathan. All right, Nathan, you make boots from scratch which is incredibly tough, blah, blah, blah. Now we've got a real challenge for you. It's time for GenFAX, Floorsheim edition. Oh, boy. You frightened? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As you may know, 
Jen works at Standard and Strange, and in addition to being one of the most wonderful people in the world, he is also a dirty charlatan rogue. So once more, he's presented us with three facts, two of which are false, only one of which is true. I'll read all three, and at the end of the episode, we'll guess and reveal the true one. You ready? Okay. All right, Gen Fact number one. Michael Jackson wore Florsheim shoes for dancing, including in the music video for Smooth Criminal, a pair of black loafers which were outfitted with retractable pegs in the heel to amplify his moonwalking abilities. Hmm. 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 <laughs> yeah, we do a lot of hums. You got <laughs> just throw some hums in here. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Really heightens the whole experience. Hmm. Gen fact number two in 1983, Florsheim and George Lucas's Lucasfilm released a collaborative black leather soled shoe from naturally Florsheim's Imperial line with a tagline of Come to the Dark Side of Dress Shoes. However, the line flopped after Star Wars purists felt that Return of the Jedi represented Lucas caring more about marketing than storytelling, largely because of Ewoks. <laughs> Could be. Maybe. Hmm. Hmm. Gen fact number three. In the 1950s, Florsheim accounted for a remarkable 70% of all men's dress shoe sales in the United States, figure that will likely never be met again. A little-known aspect of Florsheim's market decline over the coming decades was a behind-closed-doors lawsuit filed by Nettleton, who accused Florsheim of stealing the famous V-cleat heel design. Oh. <laughs> Shots fired. Oh, wow. Huh. Hmm. What's the true gen fact? We don't know. But stay tuned at the end of the episode for the big reveal. And now, back to the Natecast. All right, we're back with Nathan Florsheim. Let's just keep getting technical and nerd. I should have given like a nerd disclaimer at the top of this episode, <laughs> but if anybody's still listening, they've certainly figured that out. It seems like you've been through just a ton of first recently, like the first cap toe uh, on the pair you just completed for our boy turns. Mm -hmm. First work with horse butt. 360 midsole stitching, first wedge sole for sole selections pair, which you said you didn't want to do anymore, which I'll, <laughs> I'll bug you on that in a second. <laughs> What's that like? You go through this, you throw a bunch of boots in a plastic bin like you never want to see again until you move. And then you're like, I got it. I, I figured all this stuff out. Like I can I can make these things. I feel comfortable selling them to people. And then all this stuff comes in like yeah, there's kind of like no end to the progression. Like what what's that like? That's part of what makes it exciting for me is, you know, like there are all these different little details, whether it's in the pattern or the construction where it isn't. I, I'm never really going to be like done learning about this. You know, some things I anticipated before I opened up for orders, you know, like things like cap toes. I had done some tests before, so I was like, I'm going to have to make a cap toe eventually. I'm going to have to do that. Other things I didn't anticipate as much and just like the the way that customers, it's been wonderful working with them. And I think in that post I made about about Cyrus's pair, which is on the wedge sole, I think I even said in the post of, you know, like he pushed me out of my comfort zone in pretty much every way possible. It was my first time using horse butt. We did the 360 stitching and he also had me do triple stitching on the counter cover and that shrunken shinky leather was incredibly hard to sew. And so not only was it the first time doing triple stitching, it was like on the hardest leather I've ever I've ever sewn on. <laughs> Thanks, Cyrus. 
I know, you know, it's I, I think he he deep down he secretly likes that it was kind of this torture project <laughs> that he laid upon <laughs> me. But luckily, luckily we're both happy with how they turned out. So I wasn't anticipating the way that they would push me. I guess for me, one of the biggest learning processes of like accepting orders and, you know, doing this as more of a business has been where I'm willing to stretch my my like comfort zone and try new things, but also where it gets outside of what I'm comfortable doing or what I feel makes what I'm doing like unique to me. And so I have had some people reach out and, you know, like I know someone asked if I could do like a lace to toe boot or something like that. And it was just like, not right now. You know, I, I, I have this one boot pattern. If you want that pattern, I'm happy to do it. Um, Yeah. I'm going to faint again. (laughs) (laughs) Both because I want that boot, but like, oh yeah, just how about you just like make a completely different pattern. What do you think about that? And you're like, well, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. It's one of those things, again, where I think sometimes it's it, it's easy for me to forget that, like, I think for a lot of people that doesn't feel like a big ask, you know, like, but for me, it's like, oh, you're asking me to start from scratch. So it's been figuring out where to draw the line. And, you know, like you were talking about the wedge sole. And that was honestly one of the things where I, I never would have been a huge fan of wedge soles personally. You know, as this first pair, I'm sure people who know Cyrus know he's like really creative in his makeups. So if you go on his Instagram, he's got a collection that one of the best. Yeah, no one else has anything like his collection. And so I kind of set out to be like, okay, I'm going to let him steer the ship on this one. And I'm really happy that I did because it was just like really pushed me in a way that I don't think I would have pushed myself. You know, like I'm a pretty simple person when it comes to like boots that I want. You can see it in the pairs that I have. I have like a black pair and then like a brown pair. Having all these unique elements that he suggested allowed me to figure out kind of like, oh, I am comfortable doing this. If someone wants triple stitching, I'll do triple stitching. But then when it came to the wedge sole, that was really hard. (laughs) Um, Why? It's it's one of those things that's funny because I didn't anticipate it. But so oftentimes, you know, makers like Viberg or Red Wing or all these manufacturers that you see cranking out wedge soles a lot, they have access to like pneumatic sole presses. That is so helpful because as you probably know, the wedge sole isn't stitched on. What you do is you have the upper on the midsole. Sometimes then you have a slip sole, a rubber slip sole, which we did. And I did a 360 stitch on that. Then you glue that to the wedge. I hadn't had any experience with like chemical primers before gluing and things like that. So I tried just gluing it on like I normally do and it was pretty good, but the edges just constantly were having some separation. And it's one of those things where I'm sure that for some people they wouldn't have cared. Like it wasn't structural in any way, but it was driving me insane. And I I ended up having to like reach out to Lars who put me in touch with this guy who's another... Well, I guess he's not a shoemaker. He's a cobbler in Norway who Lars referred to as like a Norwegian glue wizard. And he is. I reached out to this guy, just like cold called him basically saying, here's the problem I'm having. And he sent me like paragraphs of like, what you need is this thing from Renia, which micro etches the rubber, which prepares it for the gluing. And you have to do it in this order. And in order to do it, you have to rip it off. And like, it was so much information. I did it and it worked. But it was one of those things where it it took so much time. And that honestly was one of the more frustrating experiences of boot making because it was the first order I accepted. And I'm running into all these problems. And I thought I was going to have to contact Cyrus and be like, sorry, man, we got to do a different soul. And that 
on top of the fact that I just don't like wedge soles led me to be like, okay, I'm going to stick with the things that I'm a little more comfortable with. But also I want to stick with the things that I, I personally would like see myself wearing, I guess, because I think that one of the main reasons that I got into boot making is I really wanted to make a pair of boots for myself. And so it, it just, it felt a little, at least early on, it feels a little disingenuous to be making things that I don't personally get excited about. Luckily, Cyrus's pair I was still very much excited about. But, you know, I've had people reach out, say, about Lace to Toes or like, when am I going to see an engineer boot from you? And you're probably not going to see an engineer boot from me. Um, I think engineer boots are fucking so cool, but I don't wear them. They don't like fit in with my style. And, you know, people are making amazing engineer boots and you should support them. I'm going to be making what I personally like and hopefully that people want to also like those things but you know again it's like learning about what i'm comfortable doing what i'm not comfortable doing and what you personally like is clearly now wedge soles exactly so moving moving forward which is great i'm glad that you've gotten there we're just going to be doing like dress oxfords on wedge soles (laughs) i'm in all right (laughs) you're gonna get a lot of calls on that i promise oh i bet (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm a little different too. <laughs> Full proponent, though. I don't mind wedge soles as a concept. Yeah, again, it, it, they look very cozy um, and comfortable and squishy. But for me, yeah, it's just it might. I'm like a tall, lanky person, and so I think anything really chunky on my feet really it it, it makes me look a whole lot noodlier. <laughs> and so the wedge <laughs> the wedge doesn't really complement doesn't complement my build too well. Well, I'm a semi-tall non-lanky person, so see you got it going for maybe you. That's why I <laughs> feel a little more at home. <laughs> so as you mentioned, you know, you kind of started out with like a last that you just had and now you have your last. You have an NF bootmaker last. Mm-hmm. How did you find it? Did you do any development around it before you got it graded? What did that look like? So it it was a bit of a journey, you know, and I, I've had people who are wanting to get into this reach out and ask me for advice on buying lasts because it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to just buy a one-off last to try out and you're like, oh, I love it. So let's go with this. Um, there's going to be a lot of trial and error and there aren't many last makers left. You know, there's a few that are overseas. There's some in Mexico. And then I'm sure there's a ton in, you know, like China and India, but they're not going to entertain a small order. Like that's like huge orders. So a big hurdle was just finding somewhere to get it. And I found, you know, like this one maker who I believe was based in Russia and I, I got a last from them and it, it turned out okay. And I was like, okay, I guess I have a relationship with this seller. So let's try making a custom last. And it just like, I don't want to get into, but like long story short, they sent me something that I wasn't happy with and it turned into a whole thing. At that point, that's actually one of the times where I very early on reached out to Lars, basically being like, help me, um, because I knew he used Spenlant, and I'd looked at their lasts, and they have great shapes, but they're, they're not the easiest place to order from. They're pretty old school. You have to do a wire transfer and stuff like that, and I had never done an international wire transfer. They're not the greatest at communication, but Lars, again, being the generous person he is, he like walked me through the process and like showed me the like information that he had to send the money to them and everything like that. I just kind of found a shape that I liked and ordered one of them. It's like the 2298 model. And I learned after the fact that Lars also 
started with that same model as his baseline for the Mo last. So that was kind of a fun coincidence of like similar aesthetics there. I really liked the shape as is. There were some things I wanted to change. The toe was a little too pointy for me. And so I basically started manually building up the toe a little bit. And that's how I landed on the, the final shape for my last. But honestly, the biggest thing that I liked about the Spindly Lasts is they're very orthopedic in their practice as a last maker. It's just the most comfortable last I've really experienced. You know, I've had plenty of shoes and boots that were comfortable. And the reason I kind of got into nicer footwear, honestly, I used to work as a barista and, you know, like after standing really long days and like Vans Authentics, my feet would just like be killing me. And so I wanted to get something with more support. And it was very comfortable, you know, like I have a pair from Wesco that has great support, but this was really just like another level for me where it, it's got really nice arch support without being like intrusive. It's got a really nice like heel cup that grips your heel really well. I learned that I have a fairly narrow foot and it just matches that really nicely. And so it was a process of not just finding something that looked nice, which is so important, but also I really wanted something that was like the most comfortable boot I'd ever worn, you know, and when I had tried other last makers, it always just felt okay. And these just feel really nice. And so that's when I kind of decided, okay, let's get a full run of these and all. And I actually I still customize them by hand. Lars, he has it in their system. And they actually have like custom models for him. I just order the base models and for every size I build it up by hand. Really interesting. I haven't gotten to the point yet now where I've made a pair in every size so there's still a few that i need to build up but it's kind of been like building a library of the ones that i've customized how do you get them all to be the same thing just a whole lot of measuring there's measuring but a lot of it honestly is like through feel and eyeballing you know like i don't think i would have been able to do this earlier on when i was making it because how will last looks doesn't necessarily translate directly how the boot will look or the toe shape will look and so you have to kind of start to understand what changes and that also varies on construction method you know like I'm sure my last the toe on my last would look a lot different on a hand welted construction than the stitch down it changes the toe shape a little bit but a lot of it is just through feel eyeballing measuring comparing and also just like experience um, I use the same leather thickness to start building up each area and so that's helpful, too, of being like, OK, I'm starting with the same amount of material, no matter what, in terms of thickness. And then I know how much I need to take off based on the size and things like that. And the more I've done it, the better I've got, you know, like the first few pairs that I was doing after my size, I had to restart a few times. And luckily, it's just tearing off a piece of leather and starting again. That part's nice. But yeah, I'm, I'm still back to fainting. <laughs> you said to get nerdy. So we're going to get nerdy. <laughs> I'm getting what I asked for. It's just like, God, the mind reels. You mentioned that you like the heel cup on the Spenla last. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have complimented your butts, plural, <laughs> uh, on your boots. A lot of people like that. I like it. You know, I mean, on the inside, it feels good. But on the outside, there's just there's something to that shape of just like nice butt. Like, how, how do you do that? Is it just the last or like what else is happening there? It's a combination of the last and the pattern, you know, like having a last that does have a good heel cup helps you know like i've seen some lasts that just don't have as much curve on the back which will translate so like on the actual shape of the boot but also it, it has to do with the patterning of you need to make sure the quarters you know so when you join the back of the quarters and you create that back seam that actually is what is initially creating a heel cup for you even before you last it so if you're not adding enough curvature in the pattern itself 
the quarters. I'll send you some pictures too if you want to see this. Send me some pictures. It illustrates it nicely when it's just the quarters sewn together. But basically, if you don't add enough curvature before you join them, there won't be much of a cup to start. And lasting will create it a little bit, but unless you're using a really stretchy leather, it's not going to get you where you need to be. But the other part is how you're patterning the heel counter cover and how you're sewing it on. Where if you just kind of like slap it on haphazardly and sew it on, there'll be a big air gap up near the top of the heel counter cover. And I've just kind of figured out a way that works for me where I, I make sure that I glue that area nicely before sewing and press it down really well, which allows me to kind of like follow the curve as I'm sewing, which maintains that shape a little bit better. I'm not sure if this is making any sense. I think this is the first time I've ever articulated this. Um, Of all the things that are just like threatening my brain throughout this conversation, I actually think I'm getting this. Okay, good. But yeah, it's basically, you know, like I'm trying to allow the heel counter cover to follow the curve that already exists. And then when I'm lasting it, that just kind of accentuates it. A big part of it too, I think, is how you finish the heel I think the fact that I do that slight Cuban slanted heel adds to the kind of like curve of the back there. And also, you know, some people leave larger shelves on the back of their heel, which I think also sometimes can like dwarf the size of the the heel cup. I don't love the big shelf. Yeah, I like to sand it in pretty close. I tried actually on my on my dome pair. It's the closest I've ever sanded it in. I leave it a little bit more now mostly just to like help out with repairs in the future. When you trim it in a little bit closer again, it kind of just helps accentuate the the curve that's already there. I'm looking at pictures. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, man. Some of these other ones are pretty tight too. Rahul's pair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, it's one of those things where it's like uh great butt. It's a difference of millimeters. So it's like for me, it's one of those things with seeing of like and I'll be like, oh boy. But <laughs> it's it's pretty pretty small changes. Well, you know, just keep it up with the butts. Tell me about the rivets, you know, at the front of the quarter for you. It's a little signature. For sure. So again, I mentioned earlier when I first started making boots, yes, of course, it was because I thought I would enjoy it. But also I wanted to be able to make a boot that I wanted that I, I couldn't really find exactly elsewhere. There's similar boots out there. I'm not going to say that. Again, I'm not reinventing the wheel. One of the things that I was always really drawn to was rivets. Of course, people think of Lars. And again, I can't say enough how much of an inspiration and like influence he was on me getting into this. But I also just was really drawn to the, you know, vintage military boots and things like that. They use the rivets. And I just thought that it was such a nice little highlight. Yeah, just it was one of those things that was purely an aesthetic decision. You know, it does technically add structural integrity to that area. It reinforces it. But it was just, again, kind of like I couldn't find it on a lot of boots that were accessible to myself. And I wanted it for myself. And so I, I decided to incorporate it. To kind of touch on the family thing, you know, like I don't think Florsheim really ever used rivets to my to my knowledge. But I liked the idea of kind of like taking from vintage boots or vintage patterns and having those references in what I'm making. And I felt like the rivet was kind of this little aesthetic reference. Yeah, which brings up this one. Is there any floor shine to these boots that you're making, do you think? Or maybe not? You know, know, not the product that they made. For sure. There's a lot of differences. And, you know, like I think a part of that is intentional. We know I want there to be a part of like family history and heritage in this, but I also want it to be my own thing. I think that if I were to just answer it, it's just the same 
kind of like bench made quality construction is what it's referencing it you know like i'm doing hand stitch down and all of their stuff was welted and so there's a difference there but i believe that early floor shine you know there probably were just individual makers making the whole shoe from start to finish as they grew then it shifted to you know like more of an assembly line situation and so it's more about that idea of like a single maker having their hands on that pair of boots and using high quality materials, you know, like I've gone through old Florsheim ads and, you know, they reference like the thickness of insoles and stuff that they use. And we use similar thicknesses. I know that a lot of vintage Florsheims were very much about the support of your foot and the arch support and stuff like that. And all sorts of silly marketing names that they came up with to, to make it sound very special. And that's always been very important for me. Like I was saying with the Spendler last, you know, it's very much about like comfort and support for me. And so I think that there's a connection in that sense. Something that I've talked about with a few people, you know, like I've made some good friends through the Discord, is that my long-term plan kind of is to to branch out and start doing some welting. Because I do think I would like to have some more construction methods available, one, so people have more choices, but also to connect with that side of that Florsheim heritage, because it is just like, it was the Goodyear welted shoe. So it would be really great to be able to kind of incorporate that construction or a similar construction into what I'm doing. Keep the eyes peeled. Yeah. (laughs) I bought like a vintage welt knife that I need to do some sharpening on, but I'm excited to, to do some tests. All right. What have been some of your favorite upper leathers to work with? Oh, man. The first thing that always comes to mind is that tumbled black Chrome XL. One, it's just an incredible leather. It's so soft. And it's because of the tumbling, it already has some of that T-core showing through from the get-go. So it's just this really gorgeous depth that's in there. But also it's sentimental for me in the fact that that pair was like my breakthrough pair. That leather always holds like a special place in my heart in that sense. And it's also just amazing to work. Like Chrome XL in general is amazing to work with. I never understood Chrome XL and the like hype behind it before I started working with it. And I was like, oh, I get this. This is like the dream material to work with. Yeah, you get why all the shoemakers are like, this is the best. Yeah. <laughs> you want this one. It's so nice to work <laughs> with. It's like so buttery soft. It's like resilient. It's just, it sews really well. It lasts really well. You know, I've seen examples of Chrome XL not, not breaking nicely, but I think a big part of that is when you're using slightly thinner cuts of it, it's really, really easy to have it crease badly but i've found when you're using like six seven ounce chrome xl like this pair it doesn't it creases differently and i think that's why when you see like the chrome xl that say like whites uses and stuff like that versus you know like some of the the cheaper brands it's just it looks like a different leather and that's because i I feel like chrome xl more so than other leathers thin chrome xl and thick chrome xl are just totally different leathers in my experience But in terms of favorite, I feel like oftentimes like every new leather I get is like a favorite leather. I have like some stuff on order from Mariam that I'm really excited to get my hands on because I've never seen that stuff in person, but I've heard very good things. The Black Chrome XL I like a lot. And right now I'm working on a pair for actually two people. The one I'm working on right now, though, is for Dana in the the Baker's Russian Reindeer. (laughs) Oh, damn. That's a special leather. I think it's some pretty old stock of it. I got it, and I think it had been sitting around for a while. And I know that they had made some, or I've heard they've done some changes to it. And so this is the older stuff. And it's one of those leathers we know. It's very expensive, but I understand the hype now that I have it. It smells amazing. It's just really natural. It's like pretty beefy. It's also, I'd say, in that six, seven ounce range. It's pretty substantial stuff. Those are the two standouts for me, though. I'd say the the tumbled black Chrome XL and the the Baker's Reindeer. What about trickiest? 
You mentioned the horse butt earlier. The horse butt was tricky. And the interesting thing about horse butt was I had always heard horse butt was often a little thinner. Um, just seeing it online and like what's for sale. Like, oh, typically it's a little thinner than like the five to six, six to seven ounce range of stuff that I, I normally get for the, the cowhide. And Cyrus provided this leather and he sends it to me and I get it and I make a cut and I'm like, holy shit, this is like eight, nine ounces. This is like the thickest leather I've ever handled for uppers. It's such a strange material compared to cowhide. Like skiving it was nearly impossible. It was so hard to skive it by hand. It is just so cut resistant. And so it, I, I broke a sweat with that. And actually after that pair, I broke down and I bought a bell skiver because it it like literally broke me. Um, <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. Again. Wait, what's a bell skiver? What's that do? So skiving is, you know, when you thin the edges of the leather that are overlapping, oftentimes at a seam. You can skive that by hand with a variety of different knives, and it can be pretty time-consuming. It's definitely a skill that you have to build up, and it's a good skill to have. But there's a machine that's called a bell skiver that you can almost kind of picture, you know, like an industrial sewing machine, big table. And it's this little thing that sits there, and it has a circular blade that spins really fast. And then a feed roller that sucks the leather through. And you can set different depths of the cut and angles of the cut and widths of the cut. And it will just skive the leather for you by like sucking it through and cutting it at an angle. So basically, you know, like maybe it would take me like 10 minutes to skive a vamp nicely or the edges of a vamp. That takes like five seconds with the bell skiver. So you're just cheating now. I'm a cheater, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a sellout. <laughs> I'm an industrial sellout. God. <laughs> <sighs> All right. I'll, I'll keep asking you a couple more questions anyway. Okay. Um, so when we were in Chicago on this trip with almost 30 guys from the Discord, which was very fun, and we'll do more of them, stay tuned. At Tannery Row, <laughs> a whole bunch of people walked out just buying workshoe butts and other hides and like, well, what are you doing with that one? Because there was like a lot of leather work guys there too. And they're like, oh, shipping it to Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> seems seems like that's happening a lot. <laughs> Just throwing new stuff at you, too. Yeah, yeah. Like a big part of it, or I guess a big part of the, the business side of things I wanted to be is that I wanted to offer a lot of customization and a lot of flexibility in choosing the leather type. One, it can make it a little easier for me as a small maker. It's hard for me to have large amounts of leathers in stock. You know, I do have leftovers and things that I just really like and I bought it that I do have stock, but... It allows me to work much more individually with the customer to figure out something they really want. And I guess the Tannery Row stuff was pretty unique where it was just like, there's a few people that I know through the Discord and one of them was like a past customer who was like proxying it and like messaging it, messaging me where, you know, that's like this legendary leather that you don't see very much. And um, people like this return customer was like, are you willing to work with it? And I said, you know, sure, I'll look at it in person. You know, I can't guarantee it. That's kind of the one caveat I have to give with some leathers like that is like, if it comes and it's not usable, I can't really help you. But they sent pictures and everything and it seemed like it was in a good state. And so I okayed it. With some of these people that I've developed more of a relationship with, there's kind of, we've come to like an understanding of, you know, like I'll get to it when I'm able and so there's that level of flexibility, too, is if they're able to work with me and be patient, I'm willing to be a little bit more flexible for them and figure out something really unique or something special to do with them. 
I've had a few people send the letters to me though. The that was the most though, where just people I had tons of people messaging me. <laughs> <laughs> it felt nice. I felt like uh, I felt like the bell of the ball. <laughs> um, it was funny to have people messaging me. <laughs> the party bus smelled great. <laughs> Just full of leather. No other way to do it. I know. I mean, my whole studio smells like leather. Ever since I got that baker's leather in, like when I, my studio's on the second floor, and whenever I go up to the second floor of my house, I just get like hit with that smell now. It's just got this like smoky birch smell. It's like some sort of a diffuser or candle. It smells so strong. <laughs> uh, yeah. Figured that one out a long time ago. <laughs> so if somebody's listening to this and they're interested in ordering a pair from you, how do they do it? Yeah, so right now, and for a while, my books have been closed. Right now, they still are closed, but not as closed, <laughs> um, where a few people know, but I'm, I'm in the next two weeks, I'm actually going to be switching to full-time bootmaking, um, which is really an exciting decision that's kind of been brewing for a long time, and I was just kind of waiting for the right moment. But basically, what that means is that I'm still figuring out the best way to be accepting new orders. But I'm going to be able to accept new orders uh, sooner than I had anticipated. So if you are interested in a pair, the the best way is you can get in touch with me through my, my Instagram. But also just I will post there when I'm able to accept new orders. Or I see other makers doing this and I'm sure it'll happen to me if something falls through at any point. I may just post on my story I have enough of this leather for a pair. First person who reaches out gets it. So just kind of being a little bit aware and in touch is your best bet. That being said, don't don't be messaging me all the time <laughs> um, because I, a big part of this has been navigating, you know, accepting orders and working with customers. And yeah, I, I don't want to get too lost in the in the DMs. But please reach out. Tell me if you're interested. It means the world to me when people say they want something because it's just really incredible and it's still surreal to me that I'm in this position. So yeah, just. Find me on Instagram and we'll talk. Well, it's your own fault. You're making good stuff. <laughs> Is there like a a next insight? Getting requests for engineer boots and lace to toes and you know these things that don't seem terribly immediate for you. You know you've got to last. Leather seems to be kind of you know something that in the right situation, you're willing to be pretty flexible on. But like, is is there a next yet, or is it just like committing to this? For sure. So par part of it's committing to it. But one of the main reasons actually that I wanted to go to full time is to allow myself more time to develop new things. Because right now it's just been to the point where a little while ago I did I had dropped down to three days a week for my job and that helped. But basically it got me to the point where I could continue accepting orders and working on orders. But I had no time to do anything other than make the boot that I already have. I have things that I want to do where I've been working on a shoe pattern for a while, like a kind of work shoe type thing. Oh. Yeah, I'm sure that'll pique your interest. <laughs> I'm piqued. That had to be put on the back burner kind of because it was just like I didn't have enough time to be working on that and people's orders. And so I really want to get that going, especially now that the weather is warming up so I can have that as an option. It's getting close. 
I also, if some of you may have seen on like my, I have it on like a posted story on my Instagram, but um, through the other bootmaker, Nathan Nat's Boots, he sent me this like really old vintage mock toe women's boot, like size five or something that he found at a thrift store because I he sent me pictures when he got it like a year ago and I just never stopped thinking about it. I'm looking at it right now. It's sick. Yeah, it's a cool boot. I just kind of, I've always liked those mock stitch boots ever since he sent me a picture of that that's what i thought of whenever i thought of mock toe and so eventually we were talking and he said he'd be willing to send me one i'm gonna tear it apart well i already teared it apart and i converted it into a pattern and so i'm gonna start working with it i'm sure i'm gonna have to make some adjustments i don't think i'm gonna make it that full height because that's pretty insane especially because that one was all eyelets it's like one two three it might have 20 eyelets. yeah it's insane and that's a size five for me, like I think I converted it to, it was around a size 36 or 37 in my last. So I'm like 10 sizes bigger than that. So imagine how many eyelets <laughs> that would have. Um, the two main things, I guess, on the for the horizon are work shoe is the most immediate thing I want to get going. I want to get that available. I think that that'll be a really fun project. So you can keep an eye out for a vintage mock inspired pattern and eventually i'd really love to do chelsea boots mm. but that's kind of further further in the distance for me because that would require uh the development of a new last so that that's a lot more work keep them peeled man yeah love it mentioned before it really does seem like there's something happening in like even the last couple of years where this obsession with great boots and footwear just owning them understanding them deeply caring for them has morphed into i gotta make these things Mm -hmm. which again terrifies me personally (laughs) intrigues me personally and i love generally what's the one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's got that in their head it's hard to give exact advice i mean i've noticed the same thing it's been really cool and honestly one of the most flattering aspects for me as a maker is year and a half two years ago i was the person reaching out to people like lars and asking questions so now that people are reaching out to me and asking me questions is like really kind of wild and really amazing so i think that that's one piece of advice is that this community is just so generous that you gotta tap into it i think that it would be foolish not to try and just learn from others in that way the other piece of advice is that it's easy to get overwhelmed by all the options and for me at least the most helpful thing was just taking apart a shoe and then trying to make a sh- the same shoe that i think is the best way to get started you don't have to read a book on pattern making you don't need crazy equipment to take the shoe apart you need like some pliers a screwdriver and a utility knife and that even just the deconstruction will give you a glimpse into if you would enjoy reconstructing it Because maybe when you're deconstructing the boot, you'll find that you hate this. You don't like how it feels on your hands or something like that. And that's a good indicator. But maybe you are so excited about it. There's a good chance that you'll like the assembly portion too. So really just try taking something apart and basically putting it back together and go from there. I like it, man. That's good. (laughs) Start simple. Yeah, it's accessible. (laughs) Go to a thrift store. Find some cheap, they don't even have to be welted, you know, like it's helpful so you can see that, that whole process, but just take something apart, man. Rip it up. (laughs) Look, man, this has been great, but there's one thing we have to do before we get out of here. Reveal the true gen fact. Oh, man. To refresh. Big test. Gen fact number one. Florsheim helped Michael Jackson completely fake moonwalking. It was was all a lie. Mm. Gen fact number two. Ewoks are adorable. 
but they don't sell Star Wars X Florsheim shoes. Gen fact number three, litigious V-cleat stuff knocked Florsheim off an unthinkable perch of shoemaking power. What do we think? I'm going to stick with number one. I think number one's true. I know I've heard something about Michael Jackson's shoes. Give it a look. Ooh, <laughs> the crinkles. Got to open the envelope. I know. Dude. Oh, fuck. You are not going to be ashamed oh. at the next Floorsheim family <laughs> Thanksgiving. You got it. Gen fact number one. I did not know about that. Oh. And it kind of hurts, man. It kinda, I wish I didn't know that. I'm sorry. God damn you, Jen. I'm sorry. I mean, there's worse things you can learn about Michael Jackson, man. <laughs> <laughs> This shouldn't be the worst. On the next episode of the Shoecast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe uh, maybe it's better this way. This one's okay. Uh, huge, huge thanks to Standard and Strange for sponsoring this episode. And Jen, who just sent me a video of himself moonwalking in engineer boots. He's good. I don't even think they're rigged. But most of all, Nathan, thank you, sir, for coming on, sharing so much, and just doing something fantastic with your work man i'll go ahead and speak for the entire community when i say thank you and keep it the hell up i mean thank you man i was so excited to be on this you know i i've seen your platform grow and again you know like you've created a a huge part of this community so it's cool to to touch base with you in this in this fashion and i hope i didn't get too boring with all the nerdy details hey i kept asking so (laughs) At least one person was interested. That's all that matters. Trust me. You did great. I can't wait to you know listen to this eight times while I'm editing it and then listen to it again. Oh, good. It's live. <laughs> and yeah, I, I didn't create anything. You know, I just gave people a place to come and that's as fulfilling as uh, I can probably handle. All right. I'll let you off on that. <laughs> Look, that's it for this week. Take care of your shoes. We'll see you next time. Hey.